Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, better than you, once again, apparently. Yeah, that headache kind of progressed into the sore throat, progressed into the cold. I, uh, I'm going to avoid trying to blow my nose too much while we're recording, though previously when that's had to happen, you very kindly edited out my, my massive honking noise that, that like permeates the microphone, I'm sure. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, I'm going to have to include it now. Oh, no. All right. Well, then I'm just hoping I don't get too congested in the next uh, hour or so. Um, so uh, uh, I have bad news for, for you and perhaps some of our listeners. Uh-oh. Uh, I, I wrote about Apple again. <laughs> just for something different, huh? Well, I mean, I, I, got, a, I got a couple of tweets griping about it. Um, but uh, I, I, we touched on this uh we touched on this briefly um, a few a few a few episodes ago. I don't remember when, but like, the, why why is it that we and so many you know people you know talk about Apple? I can't speak for everyone. Certainly, there is a there is a page view component. You know, I think for a lot of a lot of yeah. sites. Um, I mean, I I have evidence to that effect. Um, but. I mean, for what it's worth, I, I don't. And actually, I'm I'm at this point hesitant to just because you know it, I don't want to talk about it all the time either. Um, but I think that uh, uh, actually, John Gruber put it very well. He he wrote a piece on dazzling results, um, <laughs> writing about well, we can maybe we can talk about this 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 HBR piece by by Juan Pablo Vasquez Samper um, about how we shouldn't be dazzled by Apple's earnings reports. And actually, what, what was interesting is. Um, he made the argument that I think we actually touched on uh, a couple weeks ago that mm. that Apple needs new products, and uh, I think our debate was I'm saying I was saying actually no I don't think they do. Um, he kind of made that, but you know to the nth degree, um, and and in my opinion uh, Gruber appropriately uh, took him apart. But but uh, Gruber wrote something interesting at the end. He basically said. Uh, Apple is disrupting the conventional tenets of business even more than they are any particular product category in consumer electronics. There is something fascinating, in several ways unprecedented, going on with Apple right now. Rather than study it, understand it, describe it, and teach it, Sam Pierre shows and deny that it's happening. Um, leaving aside the commentary on, 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 on Professor Sam Pierre, um, I think what Gruber said there is exactly right. And this is why... I mentioned last week that I was following Apple before I ever had an Apple product, and this was why. They've always... There's something different about them. They 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 do business differently. I mean, it's kind of a running joke in in business school that every professor uh, would love to use Apple as an example for whatever pet thing they're they're saying. Even though if you step back, like Apple did everything the opposite of whatever that professor was generally telling you to do, and and so that's why that's why at least. For me and mm. this blog, and I think this ex- mm. and this podcast is why we talk about them because it's it's interesting, and I think for us, especially with our backgrounds and um, having studied disruption and in your relationship with Professor Christensen, uh, it's particularly interesting just because it is such an anomaly. I agree. I completely agree. I mean, I, I like you. I've been fascinated that, with them f- for a long time, and. I probably started more the traditional route in terms of being fascinated with them as a result of their products and just the the complete difference between using a Mac and coming from a Windows PC. And 
I remember the first time that happened and just having my mind blown, even though it was so long ago. But but putting that aside, there's there is so much to be learnt by studying anomalies, and in just as you, uh, uh, it is so anomalous, it is run so differently to the way that most organisations are run. And just by virtue of that, putting aside the products, putting aside the 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 rabid fan base of which, I mean, I, I was probably rabid and now I'm probably just a fan, like putting aside all those things, I think it warrants diving deeper into it just by virtue of understanding what they're doing. To, de- I mean, it feels like they're defying gravity on so many fronts right now. Yeah, so I, I think um, I, I in particular, obviously, um, and we've been through this on the podcast, I've been through the site, I, I've been um, a pretty fierce critic of the low end disruption critique of Apple and my, and my critique to date, um, you know, most clearly laid out, out, you know, last year in, or it's been a year and a half now, what prosecution got, got wrong, which I know you hate the title, but, uh, but we talked about it more in where I did best. And then the, the celebratory goblet of champagne episode, basically uh. my, my, my argument was that uh, in cons- in consumer markets where the buyer is the user, uh, there is much more value placed on this kind of third axis, which is the user experience. And right. people are willing to pay for that. And uh, and that Apple, is, and that there's, there either there is not a ceiling or that ceiling is so far off that Apple can maintain a significant advantage there. Um, and, uh, I do. I I absolutely do still think that's true. I think what's interesting though is even when I was making those critiques, my 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 point where I was coming at from those critiques was to was to argue why Apple is share is not going to collapse. Like they are going to retain this hold on on the higher end because I mean the critique absolutely was. And it's hard to remember now, but even just a few years ago, it was very strong that not just that Apple was going to stop growing, but that they were going to start contracting. Um, and I mean it sounds silly to talk about, but. I mean, just to be perfectly frank, I, I thought they would have a big quarter. I didn't expect this, uh, and I didn't expect, quite frankly, the previous quarter either, where there is strong evidence that not just that they are getting pent-up demand for large-screen iPhones and China Mobile, but that they're also, I think what's most interesting is in the United States, where they they actually, I think, cracked 50, we talked about this last week, cracked 50%. Uh, for, for, I mean, there is an expansion going on beyond, I think, some of these structural things, and which means I owe it to myself. I, I think I didn't fully, exp- I didn't fully explore that. I, I it, it's, <laughs> I, I mean, I certainly didn't predict it either. I, I would have been one of those people back when, uh, back when you were discussing this, that would have w- would have been very very surprised by. I mean, people were surprised just the the most recent results. But if you described what had happened to me back 18, 24 months ago, I would have been surprised by what they've managed to achieve. And I completely agree. Like that, an- anomalies are worth exploring. So I, I'm I'm with you. I, I, I let's dive into it. So. Uh- even even back uh, when I wrote the the you know the the piece last year, um, I, I put my finger on this that the key to the user experience was the integration. This is something that Apple itself has 
has stated like it it's because they make both that that the experience is that the experience is better and so what i thought that was interesting though is um where is it that Apple integrates? We, and so in here, this case, we had the discussion on the podcast. I haven't written on the blog previously, but this is something we talked about that actually, if you look at Apple from a kind of traditional perspective, because I mean, integration modularity has usually been about, about the manufacturing process. Like what, how far down do you integrate? So like I used the example in my article that Henry Ford literally bought rubber plantations in Brazil because they couldn't get enough rubber for the model T's coming out of their factory. Like that's, that's like vertical integration taken to the extreme, right? He is doing everything from harvesting the rubber to making it in tires to putting on the cars. And this was for all aspects of, of the Model T. And so that's that. And so GM came along and they were more modular. They it gave them greater flexibility. They could meet more market segments. They could be cheaper in some respects because their cost base was better. There's was, there was comp- competition in the different layers. And that's one of the many factors why they surpassed, why they surpassed Ford. And over time, over the last hundred years, there's kind of been a, a back and forth between preference for vertical, preference for for more modularity. But that's the discussion has always been about the manufacturing process. But we've but that that that's true. But that's in the context of an industrial world, and in the context of an industrial world, thinking about it in terms of hardware makes lots more sense. I think, I think, I th- if I'm recalling our conversation correctly when we talked about this last time, the conclusion we came to is that that's fine for back in the the world of automotives, but in the world of phones, thinking about integration purely in terms of the physical pieces is to, is to, is to miss an increasingly important part of the puzzle. Well, not exactly. I I think that was your conclusion. Okay. Maybe. Sorry. That's, that's fair. (laughs) My objection is that in the case of technology, integration only addresses one single thing. Does the same company make the OS in the device? And and it which is a different definition of integration than 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 has been historically. That that's my point. And so we talked about this before that Apple's supply chain is is very modularized. Like I actually counted it up and they have like six or seven hundred different suppliers. And we talked about this previously that they probably have more than Samsung because Samsung makes so many of their own of their own components. Um, the one area though where they are modularized famously or where they are integrated, sorry, is well, there's two areas. One is the OS, as we've talked about. Yeah. And the other one is the system on a chip. And where the system on a chip is interesting is because that's where you can create something customized uh, so that interfaces with the OS that you also control. So you get better battery life, you get you can get better performance, uh, you can I- enable things like Touch ID. Uh, and this is, and so think about it, those are the two spots where Apple is integrated. And what's... I mean, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I, no, I think the battery life is a key one. I think that is still a... That is still like one of the, the the criteria of performance, which probably for a lot of people hasn't improved far enough. So I, I totally get your point in terms of integrating uh, integrating into the chip and the value of that in terms of battery life. I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm got blinkers on in terms of outright performance. I'm starting to maybe again push back on me if you think I'm wrong here, but we're starting to get to the point with these devices where more CPU performance. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. Like 
it's not like I mean there'll be people that are playing CPU or CPU and GPU intensive games on their devices, but you know, like I don't think I'm going to be able to tell if Safari loads any faster or so on. I guess just just zooming out a little bit, I, I think the nature of the conversation around integration and modularity probably shifted a little bit in the previous generation of talking about this kind of stuff, which was in the um, in the PC wars where you had the integrated players up against the modular players and integration modularity, the notion of um, the modularity being um, separated from the operating system being separated from the hardware and Apple being the integrated player was was where that perhaps the nature of the conversation started to change in terms of the way people thought about integrated modular. But your point around there being six or 700 suppliers that Apple now has and how from a hardware perspective, they're actually very modular, I think is well-made. And well, it's, I mean, it's what's, true of their PCs too, Well, right? the, the thing with the PC though, and I, I made a tweet a few weeks ago, I, I should dig it up. Basically, the effect of the main outcome of Microsoft was an entire generation of people were in the wrong, wrong lessons. Like th- this was, this was huh. <laughs> Microsoft, like there's so much misunderstanding about why Microsoft won. Just a fundamental misunderstanding. And it has informed tons of bad analysis. And I'd put this in, in that camp. The reason Microsoft won back in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, IBM owned the enterprise. The whole you don't get fired for buying IBM, right? Like that that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. And they owned it because they did the System 360. They, they had had record or typing machines or whatever they were, tabulation machines. They did this. They did the System 360, which basically took over the back room of like every corporation in, in the West. And then they came along and there were, they didn't invent the PC. There were companies like Apple or Commodore or um, even Radio Shack, uh, the Tandy. Like there were other PCs out there, but no one was going to buy some random startups PC. Like remember, we're dealing with corporate buyers here. We're dealing with the most conservative, like they're covering their rear end, like which we've talked about lots, the implications of that. They wanted, an IBM PC. So what so what happened was um IBM needed a solution, they needed it quickly. So they made lots of decisions in the process. Most of them chose modularity just because they they needed to get it done. They needed to get it out the door. And so they chose the Intel processor, they chose the Microsoft operating system which wasn't even built yet. Um like they sold it without it even being done. Like Microsoft has always been a very pragmatic like a response to the customer company like from day 1. Um and and IBM obviously reserved the BIOS on, on their chip, as we've, we've talked about previously, and it went out the door. Now, obviously, as is well-documented, IBM messed up. The BIOS was not the way to kind of own the, the package. Once it was reverse-engineered, what really mattered was the operating system and, and the chip that went with it. And so the Wintel Alliance came along, Microsoft dominated, and they dominated with DOS. And so DOS, when, so when the Mac came out, it was done. It was over. Like the Mac came out in 1984, DOS was already entrenched. All the corporations in America were using DOS. And they weren't going to switch from DOS to the Mac. No, they went from DOS to Windows 1 to Windows 2 to Windows 3.1. And then and then Windows 95. And it didn't matter that it was super inferior to the Mac because it was already entrenched. And so the reason Microsoft won was because they came around the coattails of IBM Everyone bought IBM and they got this ecosystem kind of built up around it on the backs of that. 
And the reason it was modular was because IBM screwed up. Like, and so that's, that's the reason it happened that way. And to take a lesson away from that, that you ought to be Microsoft misses the fact that you, that there is no IBM to, to ride the coattails in on. You know this story better than I do, but my understanding of this was that when the Mac came out, it actually did make some decent inroads into enterprise. It wasn't just selling. No, no, the Mac, the Mac was a financial disaster for like the first five to seven years of its life. That's, that's the reason why jobs got forced out was because like he, he took this team and he set up, he was being a rebel and he's doing all sort of stuff. And then he was just bleeding cash from the company. Apple, like the Apple two made all of Apple's money and like well into like the late eighties. That's interesting. I didn't know that, but didn't, but th- didn't Excel first appear on the Mac? It did. I mean, cause Microsoft, I mean, Microsoft was covering their, their bets. Like they were working around, but, and, and actually I think the original was um, not, not Excel. It was a uh, uh, VisiCalc. And, and so th- that helped the Mac get penetration. But then uh, I think Lotus came out on, on, on the, on the IBM. There might've been another one along those times. Like the, the, there was lots of interesting things happening on the Apple side, and actually, VisiCalc was on the Apple II, so I, so it was actually on the Apple II that was that was first, and that that's like the Apple II was hugely successful and hugely popular, and that's how Apple IPO, like Apple IPO on the back of the Apple II, and that's what paid for what paid for the Mac. Like, it's funny how the Apple II has kind of disappeared from the Apple mythology because yeah. th- that's actually the product, like the Apple II, I guess in the long run. The, the, it's the Mac and the iPhone are really the two seminal Apple products, but in many respects, the Apple II is like the iPod, like it's the one that like laid the groundwork and provided the money for the real explosion to happen. So the yeah. Apple II enabled the Mac and supported the Mac's development, even as it killed itself in the process in the long run. Right, even though the, the Apple II actually, outsold, like I said, outsold the Mac for a long time after that. Same way the iPod provided the money and the support and all that sort of stuff and the infrastructure for the iPhone, even though it kind of you know killed itself in the process as well. Mm. It's interesting, right? It's it's interesting how in those circumstances, d- despite having a superior product, um, Apple was Microsoft was entrenched in the in the corporation, or, or the IBM the the PC was entrenched in the corporation, but. But the the business side of things displaced Apple effectively in many respects. Like- Absolutely, and everyone thinks that the product matters, and is sometimes it does. But and I think it matters more. And this gets back to the very crux of my argument: it matters more in the consumer space. But especially well, what, what when you're selling s- to enterprises, like Sorry. all that 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 checklist matters. Sorry, did I just steal your point. No, I was going to say what's interesting is that it's almost happened in reverse this time round, whereas. In the PC side of things, it was the enterprise that crushed the, the better consumer offering. In the in the phone world, it's been the consumer offering that's kind of crushed the enter, the, the so called enterprise. That's side it, that's exactly it, and that's the that is how the world has fundamentally fundamentally changed. And to draw any lessons from the PC without understanding the context in which the PC era happened is to make yourself look like a dummy because. Um, Beyond the fact that IBM carried Microsoft to prominence is the fact that everyone who bought PCs was were businesses. Like consumers were buying a fraction, like like less than ten percent of of PCs. They were all being sold to businesses, buying them in bulk. 
And as we've talked about ad nauseum, businesses, when there's a single buyer, that was a classic example of there being a single buyer buying for lots of people. And do you really think your IT manager in 1987 gave a fleeping flip about the user experience? No. And, 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 and then, and as that happened, then once you get the ecosystem effects going, where it was all Microsoft PCs, and so all the software is being written for PCs, all the developers know how to build on, on, on PCs, the users are used to it. Like you get this, you get the cycle going and the Mac ha- like had no chance. Like it's actually a testament to how incredible the Mac user experience was and how advanced it was that it even survived as long as it did. Yeah, it's interesting. So, so uh, point well made and point taken. I guess if you were going to characterize them as the integrated offering, which uh, you may object to, but but roll with it. The integrated offering of Apple in in both circumstances, and the modular offering in the past being the Wintel and and this time uh, this time around Android. I think, and again, I, I think you're probably going to disagree with me because we've touched on this previously, but the one thing that Google did with Android that put them in a very different circumstance to what happened with Microsoft is that they opened up the source code to the Android operating system. And what, what used to be previously a very difficult thing, creating an operating system for a device, was suddenly the, the keys to the, the keys to the kingdom suddenly became the the, the 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 blueprint was open to anyone who wanted to see it. And whereas I think Google would be in a, again, I think we're going to differ in that you think Android wouldn't have been adopted if it hadn't have been open source. But I still think it might have been with Google's licensing terms if they'd just been like, take it for free, guys, we're never going to charge for it. But they've ended up creating this army of competitors that aren't on their platform because the operating system was open sourced and I, I I personally think it's one of the biggest strategic blunders in the last 10 years in in the in the phone wars. I, I you're right. I totally disagree. And this is yeah, and this I is why Microsoft was sitting there offering Windows Mobile for like five dollars or ten ten dollars a handset or something. Uh-huh. Uh which at that time handsets were much more expensive. They were they were in this like smartphones anyway were were like five, six hundred dollars. They just were very few of them sold. So like in the, it wasn't a huge, it wasn't a huge number. Um, the issue though, is all the phone manufacturers looked at the PC business and they're like, nah, I don't want to be an undifferentiated hardware manufacturer. Like these people aren't dumb. The, and so Google had, they offered it for free, but closed like it would, Microsoft would have had the devil I know advantage. Like, well, at, at least Microsoft like works closely with its OEMs and it supports them, all of which is true. Mm. Whereas we have this random Google, why, why the why the heck should we trust them? And so to me, the whole open source thing was a marketing tool and it was a marketing tool to the OEMs. It was holding out the false hope that they could build a differentiated experience that would not that would allow their phones to, in the long run, not be commoditized. See, I, so the so again, really good point. I guess the counter I would make is that we're forgetting how terrible the experience was on Windows Mobile back when when the iPhone came out, and Android was the first example of a company other than Microsoft producing an operating system that actually looked somewhat decent. Like, okay. 
like it, people were saying it was a very close copy and putting aside whether that's true or not, it, I, re, I remember the buzz around it, not just on the, from the open source front. It's like, oh, wow, someone's actually in the, in the, you know, in the same way that <laughs> maybe Microsoft took a few cues from Mac OS to create the original Windows, he was someone that actually had taken a few cues from iOS to create a competitor to it. No, that's a very that's a very fair point. And and to to Android's credit, uh, it and Google's credit to be clear, like it pivoted far more quickly. I mean, there's those famous photos of like because remember, and Android was bought by Google before the iPhone was revealed. And there's right. famous photos of like what it looked like before and what it looked like after. Um, again, though, uh, I think this, I think this, it being open and free was important because the, I, I am convinced, and I think Google, like you can tease apart Google, various Google statements as effect. The reason Google bought Android was uh, to prevent Microsoft from dominating mobile the way that they dominate the PC and limiting Google's access to access to the consumer. And, and they view the operating system as a complement to their, to their main business. And what's the whole saying? You, you commoditize your, your compliments. Right. And so they, they, that's what they did. And like, again, I think from where they were, again, to put yourself in their shoes at that time, I think to make it open source and to make that decision made was very rational. Like they even just even despite the fact Eric Schmidt was on the board and all that sort of stuff, they didn't see the Apple dominance coming. Now they pivoted very quickly whenever they found out. Obviously, it's a point of much dispute. But I think when Android was established and when those decisions were made, it was a very rational decision. Mm. So I'm I'm with you. I, I again totally get your point. I think that a a promise of free plus the dramatic improvement in the user experience would have been enough to get phone manufacturers on board and that in promising open source yes it it got it, it might have built up even more momentum but they they sowed they they, <laughs> they sowed the seeds for some pretty well to, to I mean think about everything that's happening in China thinking think about what Amazon's done with with Android how they forked it like th- there has been a substantial cost and all that stuff would have been on Android had they not open sourced well, it Well but it 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 depends how you look at it right um I I need to find this I wrote about this at some point but like the the best outcome um what what Google wanted to avoid was Microsoft dominance. That was their first, or, or someone, let someone's dominance. It was, so it was Microsoft. Do. Like Google has always been very, has set itself in diametric opposition to Microsoft. Like they, how how long has how long has Google been paying fees to Apple for um, having app uh, Google as the but default we're not, browser we're not, on iOS? We're not talking. You can't talk about this decision in 2014. You have to talk about this decision in 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 2006, 2007 when it was made. That's my entire point. Yes, you okay, can look backwards. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yep, no, your point's well made. You're right. 2006, decision to buy Android, that was probably more Microsoft. It had to have been Microsoft rather than Apple. Sorry, you're right. So so in that, so in, again, in that context, um, I, I was going to make a fantastic point. You totally interrupted me. It was a, it was a, Sorry. It was a steel I, to agree with you. by you. I know. It was so devious. <laughs> um, but no, I think, I think it was a... Uh, Oh, so the first order, the first order was to prevent Microsoft dominance. Their second order 
was to collect data and to and be you know to make the, make their all their services better and more effective and their advertising more targeted. Their third order was to get more people online because you know as Google believes the more pe- and as they've traced the more people that are online the more money Google makes. And if you look at that at those priorities, you cannot view Android as anything but a smashing success. Number one, yeah, Microsoft does not dominate mobile, nor does Apple. Uh, number two, a a the majority of the world is running real Android and sending all their data to Google. Number three, even the people that aren't are online and surfing and all that sort of stuff. And oh, by the way, almost all those people are in China where Google services aren't at anyway. Like it's not like Google would be doing a single iota better, uh, you know, because oh. they, they've lost the country as it is. Yeah, so let me let me. I, I <laughs> it was nicely stated, but I think I, I would I would argue slightly with your articulation of the priorities. And Google's priority is to get more people using Google Search and Google all the all the Google services. That's why they were concerned about Microsoft because they saw what Microsoft did to Netscape. If you control the operating system, you control the browser, and you can control where people head when they head to the web. Google's primary reason for doing this wasn't to to head off Microsoft in concept. It was to keep people on Google services. And when you think about it through the lens of, of that being the priority, actually all those, I mean, what would all those people in China be doing right now if it wasn't possible to fork Android? What What operating system would they be using on their phones? Probably some Linux variant. Uh, maybe, but it wouldn't be anywhere nearly near as good. I actually think if Google hadn't, if Google hadn't open sourced Android, they would have had an incredible amount of leverage in those negotiations with China because they all those Chinese manufacturers wouldn't have had anything to put on their phones. I, no, I, I just don't think that's the case. They would, they would have found, they would have found something. And Google, like the real Google experience, doesn't really function in China because it's all blocked. And and. But they wouldn't have blocked it if you had to use Android. If you couldn't, if you couldn't have forked Android and you had to use Google's version of Android, it would have been a much more difficult decision for the Chinese government to block all those Google services. Yeah, the, the Chinese government does not have a hard time making a decision. Their priorities are very clear. Oh no, no, no! Um, I know that, but, but like seriously, think about no, what you I don't, would have put. I, we've already discussed this. I okay. hate counterfactuals. And and I hate counterfactuals because one, who knows? We can make up whatever conditions we want to answer them. And two, I think this is backseat driving or rearview mirror driving. Like I, I maintain that given where they were in 2007, it was an exceptionally rational decision and possibly, and I think Android would not have been nearly as successful had Google not done it. You can argue that's different and look all these things that might have happened, but you can't say that Google should have done it because of this, because they couldn't have known the because of this at the time they made the decision. Well, I'm not saying, well, hold on. The rationale, do you agree with the rationale for acquiring Android was to keep people using Google services? I think the rationale was to prevent Microsoft from limiting access to to Google services. Right. Let me ask you a different question. Did Microsoft, leaving aside the, the whole... Justice Department monopoly stuff. Did Microsoft make the right decision with Internet Explorer? Like their 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 determination to dominate that. Yes. Why? This is an uncomfortable silence. 
No, no, no. It's a good question. Because if, so, no, yeah. because what, no, 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 no. You're going to ask me the question. <laughs> Let me finish. Because if the, if, 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 the, the direction that they saw that the web was the web was um, the web was going was such that you would abstract away the importance of the operating system and what Microsoft was able to do with Internet Explorer was effectively uh, <laughs> embrace and extend various web protocols such that people wouldn't get a proper web experience unless they were using Internet Explorer and in effect it, it help Microsoft hold on to its monopoly of the desktop operating systems. But to like to what end? In the long run, it didn't matter who owned the browser because all the interesting innovation happened happened a level above that. It happened inside the browser. And the actual like what was around it ended up being not very not very important at all. And actually in retrospect, you can argue that uh if you look that at didn't... it narrowly, in the t- and you you can totally understand Microsoft's motivations. They like this is a runtime, and someone's trying to own the runtime on top of our runtime, and we right. can't let them own the own the runtime. And so it was a very rational response, and you can't fault them. But you can look back in 2014 and say, what if Microsoft had uh, hadn't done that? Hadn't gone through? You know, like would they really be in that much of a different position? And and to me, this is this is the interesting way to think about Android. It's like you it's really easy to say that was an obvious move and it's Google by Google. And yes, we can quibble about the tactics should have been open source or not. Um, but actually, what have they gained in the long run? Because I would argue the interesting innovation, what's gonna happen next is gonna be is gonna be above that. It's gonna be on a different layer. It's happening inside on like messaging apps, and it's happening in no, areas no, no. like that. But the whole point is being like, does it does it we, does we, it matter? No, no, no. I, I mean, I I I understand your um, I understand your point. I think what I was trying to, uh, if I remember correctly, like they controlled where the runtime actually ran, and so I, I remember back in back at around like the late 90s early 2000s before Microsoft released Internet Explorer for Mac there were a whole bunch of sites which you couldn't actually visit using a Macintosh computer like they they had control of um, what platform you were able to use the web on not just from the web browser perspective but if they only released the web browser on certain OSs then you could only use those OSs to get there now I, I I think I've taken as <laughs> guilty as charged. I'm I'm doing the um what's the dog? I'm I'm we're wandering off. We were we were like <laughs> in integration versus modularity, and I, I like completely sideswiped us with that discussion around Android and Google. And it's fair enough to say that like counterfactual, you'll never know. But I I have a strong opinion on it. I think you have a strong opinion on it. Let's acknowledge it and keep going. <laughs> yeah, we're, I think that was like a 35-minute uh, sidetrack, but that's okay. It was fun, though. Well, I think it's important, though, because I think this um, uh, I think this point has messed up analysis of, of the iPhone and of mobile. It, it, like, one, people insist that modularity is going to win. And two, they, in, they base that insistence on a historical narrative that isn't actually correct. And 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 um 
And so I think it's it's worthwhile to to take the time to set the record straight. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair. I, I also think it's worth restating that all these theories have a certain degree of explanatory power. They're, they're not they're not hard and fast rules of physics where you know it has to happen. But there is an interesting trend where that has happened. And if it if it works differently this way in, in this instance, then then you know you've got to come back and revisit the theory. It's not strong enough, and and it needs to be revised. So so broadly speaking. Um, uh, the, I think it was worth it also to make the point that back in the day, businesses were buyers today, consumers are buyers. And so mm, the expectations right. are different. Um, took us 35 minutes to say, that. <laughs> well, and I think why it's interesting in the whole point of the integrated modular discussion was that Apple has, I think it's wrong to view Apple. It, it's way too simplistic to describe Apple as being integrated and everyone else is being modular because again, it, 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 it focuses on this one vector when actually you could say Apple's very modular in their supply chain. But where Apple chooses to integrate is in all the parts that are directly experienced by the consumer. And so they, they, they integrate the hardware, the hardware and the OS, even though what's inside, what's inside the hardware is all these component makers and already what's inside the OS. Right. It, like there's lots of open source components, right? It's, it's a uh-huh. modular OS in, in many respects, more modular than say windows. Um, and similarly in the app store, yes, there's tons of apps that provide lots of experiences. That that's a very modular offering, um, which in that article, Professor Christensen acknowledges well. But around that is the app store, which is very controlled and integrated and tied to the OS and has app review and all this sort of stuff. And so what you hmm. see is Apple putting these integrated wrappers around modular supply. And and hmm. and you see that all up and down the the iPhone stack from applications to the OS to to the hardware itself. Yeah, I, I I mean I think I'd say for better or for worse when people think of the inter- and I know it drives you nuts when pe- but pe- when people think of the integrated modularity distinction they focus on the hardware software interface right and I, and I think that's simplistic and leads to bad analysis so um, to do it alone I would agree <laughs> yes so uh, so so that's the framework is Apple wrapping integration around modularity if that makes sense now yeah. now you think about uh, some of the stuff that Apple Apple is now talking about, uh, they used to always talk about the integration of hardware and software. Steve Jobs used that line a lot. Tim Cook's line is now the integration of hardware, software, and services. And and the problem here comes with the definition of services. And we talked about this in the case of Xiaomi, right? When people say services, they tend to think about what Google does. But to me, uh-huh. that's, a, that's a very specific kind of service, like internet data related services. But a service is, is any other, is any sort of kind of recurring action that you go through that's not like an, an actual product, right? So right. the vast, like the majority of the US economy is made up of services, right? Your, your barista at Starbucks is working mm-hmm. a service job. It's not, that's not a, a product industrial production job. It's a service job. Or go stay at a hotel. Right, exactly. And so all this sort of stuff are, are services. And the problem, it's another definition problem. People, when they hear services, they think too narrowly. Internet services. Exactly, exactly. And so the point of the Xiaomi article was when Xiaomi says they'll monetize through services, they're not going to monetize by by taking on Baidu and WeChat and all this sort of stuff. Right. That's that's a loser's game. They're going to monetize through other services, and their service is going to be a layer that connects all the things in your house. And they'll make money by making their smartphones more sticky. They do make profit there. They'll sell some of those things. They'll they'll invest in companies that build out of those things, and that's where they will 
And that's the service where they will make their money. And so I think where you're about to go is to say that to think of the services that Apple offer in terms of like the iCloud suite is too narrow. Exactly. I think iCloud is is totally uninteresting to be totally honest. Like it, 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 it's a, it's a, it's there for people who need it, but you can use your iPhone completely satisfactorily, arguably more satisfactorily by not using iCloud at all. Right. And, and iCloud right. is actually backing out. iCloud is getting more simplistic over time when not, as, with things like cloud kit is much simpler uh, than something like, like uh, core data used to be. And, and you see, and iCloud drive is just like Dropbox. Now it's not this whole like integrated into the application thing. Like it's, it's actually it is what it is, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. When Apple talks about services, there's five things, and Tim Cook has taken to our, he opened this on the earnings call. He talked about these, and he talked about it in this 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 uh, talk at Goldman Sachs earlier this week, which was excellent. I I, I recommend listening to it. Um, and I think it's it it's important to hear what he's saying. Um, there's five things. Number one is HomeKit. Uh, number two is HealthKit. Number three is Siri. Number four is CarPlay, and number five is Apple Pay. And if you think about it, those are all services. And they're all services that touch nearly every aspect of our lives. HomeKit touches your home. like It's meant to interact with all the things in your house. Apple Pay touches everything outside. Like The vast majority of what we do outside involves transactions, right? Whether it be riding the bus, taking an Uber, taking a taxi, uh, buying something at the store, buying a concert ticket, buying a movie ticket, like just transactions are, are 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 the most important aspect of not being in our house. Uh, Siri is getting information anywhere, getting information, you know, like whenever you need it, it's there ready to answer your question. CarPlay is the transportation getting tuned for like, but five health kit. That's you like that's that's you all the time. Like it doesn't get much more personal than that. And if you think about it, when Apple says they're building new services, they're building new services that impact every part of your life. And it all ties back to the phone. And the and why can they do that? Because the phone is with you everywhere. Now you think about each of these services and it's following the exact same model. It's modularity wrapped with integration. They're not going to build all the furniture in your house, right? They're setting up a standard and all that sort of stuff. And they're wrapping it in a layer that will interact with your phone. Like So your phone is integrated with the... With, with, uh, with the, the the layer on top, but they're not actually building the stuff. They're not building cars. I think this rumor is a bunch of crap for what it's worth. Uh, they're not they're not yeah. building stores and movie theaters for you to go to, right? And they're not and they're not building information services, right? Uh, Siri interacts with with Bing and Yahoo and uh, and will query Google, like and uh, what's the one the the the, the math one. That, that's that's super amazing. Oh, um, Wolfram Logic. Yeah, Wolfram, Wolfram something or other. Alpha. Wolfram Alpha. <laughs> um, and but all these are wrapped with an Apple layer that provides the customer an integrated experience while taking full advantage of modularity. It's what they've done before, and they're just extending that to basically the entire world. Really, really well put, and so. The next, the next question I think I would have is the one that we've probably touched on a bunch, and that is whether you think being the owner of the hardware better positions you in the long run versus being, being a company that thinks about this all in terms of the cloud. I do. And 
There's a few reasons. Okay. Number one, Oops. number one is business model. Like at some point you need to make money here. And the problem with Google is the need to make money from ads. This kind of, I think gets to some of your Android criticism. It limits um, the attractiveness of some of these areas and it provide in it it provides bad incentives and the incentives aren't just like I want to stick an ad in your face I want to collect data although those are all problems like I don't think you want a data collecting company running health kit um but it's a bad incentive in that they won't pursue the best opportunities because there won't be clear money to be made for their business model give me an example uh like something like uh, uh um no no take your time I'm assuming you're going to edit out my uncomfortable. Oh, no, no, of course, of course. Um, well, th- think about something like health. I mean, Google has done stuff around health before and leaving aside the whole customer like nastiness of like Google wanting to mess with my stuff. I, they, I think they've kind of largely abandoned it. And part of it is, is because like it is the privacy thing. They're never going to make money there. And it, it's hard to ask them to, to make tremendous investments and to push through and to get something bought in and to get hospital buy-in and deal with all this sort of stuff when in the long run, there's no money there, right? They will never make money from a health initiative. And so it's like, you really think that you really think that they couldn't make money out of it. Who Google? I mean, if they want to, what are they make come up with a new business model where you pay for your, your healthcare, sir, healthcare. No, but like, I mean, I don't think people are going to accept ads against their healthcare data. Not, mm, they probably won't accept ads, but I mean, the, the number of things that people agree to in end-user license agreements where they, they don't necessarily know that their, ad, their ads are, that they're, I mean, here's the thing, you, you're already letting these guys read your email. I, I don't necessarily know that folks are really, I, I mean, I, I know how you and I think, or I know how I think about this, but you've you've been drumming it into me for the past 30 episodes not to over index on what i think but i i i actually think most people would just like click the button and it, it goes up into people's like like google's view of you to start seeing all this health stuff and all of a sudden you 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 notice that when you're logging in and searching around health stuff you're getting ads on your phone or on your on your computer that it the the drugs seem to be very well targeted it's possible i mean um i I mean, yes, I, I, you are, uh, uh, what's the word you're, you're, you're doing something and trapping me in my own something or other, um, <laughs> hoisting you on. Your yes. Own thank you. My petard. Uh, <laughs> it's possible. I, I, I'm skeptical. Um, but regardless, I think there's no question that the Apple business model is super obvious, right? Like if, if everything is connected yeah. to the phone and they happen to be selling the phone at a significant margin, like all the incentives for each of these things fall very much into place. And, and that's, and that's, that, that's a pretty, that's a pretty powerful thing. Um, the other, the other real advantage though, uh, what was the original question? Uh, do you think, Oh, that why, the, why, why, why do you think that the device versus cloud? Um, Oh, the other thing, though, that the device really enables is uh, identity. And I said this, I, I said this, I think I've said this on the podcast. I've said it on Twitter. Um, I probably haven't said it on my site, and I should, because I think other people are starting to say it now, too. Like, Touch ID is arguably the single most important Apple innovation in, like, since the iPhone. 
Like it's it's so incredibly powerful. And I'm actually going to put a thing in the daily update um, today because I wanted I want I had this in the piece, but I cut it for for space reasons and it didn't really fit. Um, uh, but one of my favorite uh, services to log into is WeChat. Uh, like WeChat has a Mac application, but because WeChat is a mobile first sort of thing, what happens is you open up the Mac application and it immediately displays a QR code. Don't laugh. QR codes are used all the time in China. Super common. People are used to them. What you do is you have to open up WeChat on your phone and then scan that QR code on your computer. And then you get a message on your phone saying someone's like someone's logging in on a computer. Is that you? And you click OK. And then you're logged in. And then in the future, whenever you want to log in, you so you close WeChat in your computer. You open it back up on your computer. You get a message on your phone saying, do you want to log in? And what's happening is there's no username, there's no password. Everything, it's assumed that you have your phone and and now you are able to manage your identity on your computer by using your phone. Now imagine doing that with Touch ID. No more passwords, none of this stuff. It's your your biometric, your biometrics are the key to your identity. Imagine how many problems this gets rid of. All these password problems, all these break-ins that are built on phishing. Like if every application used the same sort of structure that WeChat does, like it would it would be revolutionary when it comes to security, particularly if it was tied to tied to touch ID. Now you think about things like health, you think about things like the smart home, the internet of things. Like you have like a smart lock. I don't want a smart lock that depends on a password, right? I want a smart lock that that depends on my thumbprint. Uh, you think about things like Apple Pay. Apple Pay is the reason why Apple Pay works is because of Touch ID. If it didn't have Touch ID, it would be too complicated. And, uh, and using a credit card would be easier. The reason it's easier is because of Touch ID. And, you t- and, and, and so that's the benefit of owning the device, the personal device. Right. That, that is definitely true. The question is, do you think that other hardware manufacturers, having seen how Apple have done it, will be able to replicate some part of that? No. Apple has two big Apple has uh, well, multiple big advantages. Number one is from an identity standpoint, people can't do touch ID. Like it's that's what makes it so compelling. Like touch ID depends on one, making your own silicon, two, making the actual button, the hardware, and three, the OS. Like there is no other company that does all three things. Um, it, I mean, Samsung is it, the only one that that could potentially uh, compete on this point. But again, they they don't have the low, like their their OS acumen is is lacking to say the least. No, 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 that's fair. But what it it depends on creating your own silicon when nobody's ever done it before. But what's to say that like. What's to say that in the future, like the the silicon manufacturers don't say, oh, okay, so we need this kind of, we need this kind of, we're going to make this kind of chip available. And they work with Android, with Google on Android to say, okay, where this kind of, where where this kind of chip is possible, where hardware manufacturers included this kind of chip, then you can make this call function and the silicon's there and the button talks to the silicon via the operating system. Now, obviously creating this, being integrated is a huge advantage, but how does being modular preclude that from happening further down because the road? Because the basis of competition changes. What I mean by that is uh, take like Intel Intel versus ARM. And we'll circle. Um, sure. So at the beginning, ARM came to dominate mobile because it was more efficient. 
uh, on a on a power per watt basis, performance per sure. watt basis. Now Intel is competitive, and 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 reportedly, whenever Intel gets their next processor out the door, they're going to be better. Um, Intel's been saying this every node move, and who knows if it'll ever actually right. be true. But let's assume that it is true. It doesn't matter because. Now there is such an ecosystem around ARM that that even if Intel wins on the metric that they originally lost at, they're still uncompetitive because they're, they're now they have the ecosystem working against them. And no, the, I, points completely well made, but there is still going to be a lot. I mean, Apple's doing incredibly well, incredibly well in America, but there are still going to be a lot of people out there in the world that do not own Apple devices. And if this is a valuable thing for the reasons you've articulated, that is a very big incentive for the modular players to work out how to do this for everybody else that wants this same functionality. The problem, though, to do this is very expensive. One, and there's no, there, like, there just isn't money in the, like, Apple, because Apple has taken all of the high end customers, the only way to compete for customers is to be on a cost basis. So, uh, like, the incentives for all the manufacturers are to go down market, not up market. So at some, in some point they're doing this out of the, like the goodness of their heart, not because they're actually expect to make any money. Mm, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I can't help but think that a company like Xiaomi, who's just introduced this monster new, like what's well, not, I mean, by their standards, monster new expensive phone doesn't want to replicate this same benefit pushes one of their silicon manufacturers to say, hey, figure out how we can do this. You know, like I, it's a stretch. It's a stretch for me to believe that it, it, no one else will be able to, nobody else will be able to do it because of, for cost reasons. Well, well Xiaomi, well, Xiaomi uh, I would argue, is the only OEM that has a chance of replicating this kind of big picture Apple, Apple model. But part of that is because Xiaomi is quite integrated. Like, yes, it's based on Android, but it's very heavily customized version of Android, like where they sit on top. Of, like it, 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 it's basically their own OS, and they're sure. building the TV, and they have a little bracelet that unlocks their phone. That kind of gets like you can see this sort of benefit playing out. But the whole reason they're even they're even uh, have a chance here is because they're arguably even more integrated than Apple. I mean, they're selling the actual things in the house. But, but they are still going to have to rely on someone else coming up with the silicon to do it. And at that point, what's preventing anybody else? Like once one of those silicon manufacturers develops it, unless they're going to do it exclusively for Xiaomi, which I'd be surprised at, what's then to say someone else doing it? And then the cost starts dropping and then it suddenly becomes, oh, Google will throw in the functionality and suddenly the modular players have access to it. Um, by the time that happens, which will take years and... Uh, there's going to be like the ecosystem advantage of having this functionality is going to be very, this was the point of the ARM Intel thing is to be much more widely felt. There's going to be lots of things that interact. There's going to be lots of things that use HomeKit and that depend on this. There'll be lots of services that, that assume this, this for a login and all this, it's like the argument you made about, about Microsoft and, and, and IE, like they're, they're, they're going to have the ecosystem advantage like they do with apps now on the phone. Like the reason why the iPhone won in the beginning wasn't apps. The reason why they win now arguably is. The reason why yeah, this sure. services vision will win now is different than the reason why it, it may or may not win in the long run. And obviously we're talking about the future. Anything could happen. Um, right. But totally. that's what I mean by I, the I basis just, of competition will change. And 
and and more broadly what's happening here is uh so there there's a um have you read the end of sustainable competitive advantage i have not it's it's, it's a pretty popular book i think a couple last year or something like that um is that what it's called the end of, the end of sustainable competitive advantage yeah it's by a, a columbia business school professor um rita mcgrath and Oh yeah, she's famous for her work on strategy. Yes, yes, very much so, and and deservedly so. And um, and I'm not sure I, I don't like her title because I do think there's sustainable competitive advantage that persists and can be captured. Which, I, but if you actually read the book, like she's talking about, like your traditional look at an industry, you know, it, she's kind of talking about a, a sustainability that's based on kind of this the supply side, if that makes sense. Um, like where if you control the inputs and that sort of stuff, you can, you can build something that no one else can like a very, a very uh-huh. old school industrial style. And, and I think it's fair to say that that's over and, and to be focused on that is a problem. One of the reasons though, why she says it's over is that she argues that the in to look at your company in an industry context is the surest way to get yourself in trouble. And the reason is, and this is very much a disruption theory idea as well, is that the threats aren't coming from your traditional competitors, right? Um, right. RIM yep. was taken out not by another phone manufacturer, Nokia, but by a computer company. And, and the problem was that it used to be that cell phones and PCs were distinct. If, Once they became yeah. the same industry, they were screwed. Totally. And this is, I think... Above all, beyond the user experience thing, beyond the the misdefinition of integrated modularity or misapplication, this is the number one thing why critics of the iPhone continue to get wrong again and again and again. And that is, and this gets back to again the, the my mobile first article. Like I've kind of been building up to this for for a few weeks now. It turns out, um, is that the smartphone. By virtue, the smartphone, a computer is so powerful, but a computer was always a destination device. You had to go to it, and it only took up a small part of your day. Now, with the computer being in your pocket and going with you everywhere it goes, that computer is impacting everything you do. I made the analogy, Steve Jobs talked about the computer being a bicycle of the mind, but it was a bicycle, it was a stationary bicycle. Now you're going to, you're getting on a bicycle that can quite literally go anywhere and you have this superpower everywhere you go. And so the market, the market for Apple is not selling phones. The market is impacting and playing a role in quite literally every single part of your life. And I certainly don't think that market is mature. And if the market is not mature, and if it is being underserved, then what wins? The integrated solution wins. And so, yes, your points about modularity may be in the very, very long run. One will all be dead, but two, maybe they might win. But for a very, very long time, I think the, the integration of computing into every aspect of our lives is only just getting started. And if it's only just getting started, it's not a mature market. And we're almost certainly being underserved by present technology. And that means the integrated solution is going to be the dominant strat, the dominant solution for quite a while to come. And that's a pretty good reason to be pretty bullish about the iPhone's chances going forward. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, th- I think it's a, it's a well-made case. I think 
I, I think I said uh, like earlier, it was one of these things where these theories are very helpful in um, looking at the world and explaining things. But I think though, if 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 the argument is that people who don't have an iPhone aren't going to get access to home automation, aren't going to get access from the the quantified self movement in terms of health, like if it, if all those things are going to accrue only to Apple users, if that's the argument, like there's just a there's just something in me that's causing me to step back and say, hey, yes, that's a really good bull case for Apple, but to think that they and they alone are going to I mean, it's a really, it's a compelling argument. And the, the strategy that you talked about, the five pieces, is a compelling strategy in, in, in terms of the way they're approaching it. But to say that this is, those things are not going to be available to Android or they're not going to catch up because of Touch ID. And I, I, I mean, again, it's going to be hard. I just can't, I, I, I just have difficulty accepting that on, on like a big picture, like from a big picture perspective. No, by by all means. I mean, in the very long run, like Apple is not constructed to be a company that serves everyone, right? I'm not saying they're going to be a monopoly by any means. In the very long run, you're absolutely right. My only point is for the near future, and I'm not someone who forecasts out 10, 15 years. For the near future, I, I would argue they are they are exceptionally well positioned primarily because they are an integrated player and they're positioned such that I think there's a good reason to argue they will continue to expand, expand their share. And I'm not saying they will take it all, but there's a lot of people like there's and for sure. There's a huge portion of the world's population in particular that can't afford an iPhone and, and never will. And it will remain an aspirational brand at, at, at best, but there's still a lot of people that could afford an iPhone, but don't buy one. And I think that the uh, the a fairly common assumption has been that Apple's kind of saturated the market of people that care. And this kind of is that it gets my the article I wrote about you know the conservatives and and the um, the end of trickle down technology. Like there there's a lot of people that I think as technology infiltrates every part of your life, they will they will. Buy technology not because they're a geek, but because it's just a super important part of their life. And the best offering by a significant amount will will be Apple. Their differentiation is increasing, uh, not decreasing. Right. I, I think that's a, a that's a very fair point to make. So one more one more extra point. Um, what's interesting about all these services, uh, um, CarPlay, uh, HomeKit, HealthKit. Uh, Siri and uh, Apple Pay. Uh, none of them need a screen. And if they don't need a screen, why do you, why, like, what's the point of a screen? Wouldn't it be better if you could favor portability and convenience over screen? What do they need if they don't need a screen? They need radios and they need uh, some sort of biometric information um maybe a heartbeat i, I 
this is really interesting. I get what you mean in terms of Siri, like you just need to be voice activated. But I'm thinking, I mean, I guess it depends. Uh, it depends on the use case and how you're using it. And that's where you've, you kind of stump me a little bit. Like, I'm sure there are instances where it does like CarPlay and HomeKit do need screens, well, right? The, the point, the point is that uh, these five services in particular, like when you talk about um, are I actually think the watch is more suited to these five services than the phone is. And the reason it's suited is because th- these are all about interacting with your environment, not about interacting with a screen. Mm. And if you're interacting with an environment, something that's just attached to you and you don't have to reach in your pocket for, like, yes, it's a small thing, but it's a small thing that, that adds up. And, and you, you've been looking for a reason to own a watch. Well, if these services, again, all this is theoretical. Now, all, Apple has a long way to go in a lot of these. But if, if yeah, these services yeah. do pan out, that watch, there's your reason to have a watch. It's, and it, it, it's, it's pretty compelling, even if it entails having a phone in your pocket. And of course, once the phone's gone, then it's even better. Mm-hmm. But like, if you can just, if you're carrying a load of groceries, you can walk up to your door and the door will just, and you can just whip your wrist up to the lock and will unlock. Like, that's, that's awesome. If you can, you know, go to the store and you can just hold your wrist up to pay and not have to fish your phone out. That's like all these things add up. And and oh, by the way, for health, you can actually start tracking the health directly because it, it's a sensor in its own right. It's kind of like when the Mac was the digital hub and Apple said we're going to be in the center. We're going to have all this stuff around it. Oh, but we'll make one of them. We'll make the music player. Right. That like Apple's putting the phone at the center and building all these services around it. Oh, but we'll build one of them. We'll build the health kit thing. We'll build the we'll build the watch. Yeah, yeah. I, I think again it's a compelling case. I think if I was to again not to not to bet on Google against Apple in this instance, but I think the Google response would be imagine you didn't even need to lift your wrist up to get into your house. Imagine like the cloud with its degree of sensors, like you don't actually need hardware on your person anymore. The hardware is embedded everywhere such that, and and the cloud is making the decisions rather than relying on a piece of hardware that has, that has battery constraints, et cetera, that, that rest on. Yeah, the we'll, see, well, we'll see, we'll see, we'll believe it when it happens. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about this whole conversation to tie it back to where we started and We've kind of gone bottom up on the phone in terms of like explaining all the reasons why the phone has kind of defied gravity. But there's a there's another top-down perspective that I I find absolutely fascinating that we haven't covered. And that is um that like in the context of disruption, one of the one of the things that that really interested interested me when the jobs biography came out was that basically in terms of business research, the only thing that he talked about was was disruption. It was clay stuff. And I can't help but escape the fact that it seems that they have managed to build a company using entirely different operating principles that cause it to defy the laws of, of disruption. But I'm wondering whether they would be as set successful as they did had jobs not like he he talks about like he talked about it when Scully came like talking about it going back to Scully he said you know when Scully came back he changed the priorities of the company it used to be about creating great products and Scully changed it all to being focused around profits and it sounds like a small thing but it ends up making all the difference 
And I think that so much of the, the organizational design and culture that Apple has springs up from that insight. And it, it has, in effect, inoculated Apple from disruption because they don't like the causal mechanism inside a company of being disrupted is that they look at opportunities only in terms of numbers. And what Apple does, and Tim Cook said it in one of these recent interviews, Apple doesn't look at the numbers. It looks at what causes the numbers. And that is that is the distinction that is at the heart of the dilemma. Like people know that the innovator's dilemma happens. They know disruption happens, but they can't bring themselves not to look at it because they have to feel they feel they have to keep delivering the numbers to shareholders quarter after quarter. And cool opportunities, great opportunities don't look like great opportunities because of the perspective of where they're sitting. But when you don't look at look at it through the lens of the numbers. You see an opportunity like I really like the iPhone looks like a great idea, whereas otherwise it might not. I, I think what Apple and Steve Jobs appreciated and what I appreciate about uh, the theory is the the way it so elegantly explains the problem. And yes, I completely what, agree. What, what Apple has done is their solution has been very, very different than what Professor Christensen proposed in his books. And so that's the point I was trying to make was that that um yes, there are there are there are shades of it. Like there are areas where it is similar and they're they're aligned, but in broad strokes, uh Apple from a very surface level, wow, they're selling integrated stuff for a really high price uh to the most demanding customers doesn't sound like a sustainable long-term business model. Say that last part one more time. Apple's strategy of selling integrated, super high margin products to a minority of demanding customers does not sound like a sustainable Uh business strategy. Yes, right. And and I would agree with that. And I think I, I, I would agree with that. And I think it's interesting. What's interesting to me is that how much of what they're doing is enabled by their acknowledgement and their own unique response to the the problem that was articulated in the dilemma. Right, exactly, and that and that's and that's what makes Apple interesting. It is um, that's exactly it. Exactly, that's exactly it. Like this is this is why it's anomalous, and this is why it's an interesting company to focus on. And uh, like, not all the fanboyism, not because of the love of, not just because of the cool products. So they are cool and the cool technologies. What's really interesting is they're anomalous and they have they are operating in such a different way to the way that people get taught to operate companies in business schools, and that it it means it deserves focus. Right. No, I I completely agree, and and not just the way that and people are like, oh, well, that's business schools are dumb, but they're they operate differently than everyone else in the valley too. Like every like they do everything differently, and uh and. I, uh, the, the, there's an article in my head. I haven't figured out how to put it. Now I have to put it off for a while because I don't worry about Apple again. But it's it's basically the title is Why Don't People Copy Apple? Interesting. Well, I didn't... It, do you think that was Balmer's last... The last <laughs> stroke Balmer had was to like... But, but it, the problem exactly was, and that. this was quite... I mean, this was... this was It wasn't based on an in-depth understanding of what made Apple different. It was a superficial idea of functional versus yeah, like divisional you, organization without appreciating right. that yep. there are multiple factors that go into making a functional organization work. 
I mean, and we've talked about yeah. this, like there's lots of bad stuff about a functional organization. Like uh, it's really bad. It's not a great, like it, it's a tough place to work. You're expected to do basically one job your entire career. Maybe you'll get to manage some people, but like, there's not like a career ladder you're, you're going to go up. I mean, obviously some people do, but in general, that's not an expectation you should have going to work there. It's very top-down command and control. All of these management guidelines and all these stuff are like, oh, you need to free your employees. You need to let them, you know, like give them liberty and 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 let them control. That's it doesn't work that way at Apple. You do what you're told. Like, yes, you can send feedback up the chain, and but most of it is a black box. And occasionally, an order comes down, and boom, you better step in line. Like, and app. This is something that we talk about a lot at Apple University. Like, it's a real problem when it comes to employer retention. There's a certain kind of employee that's really gifted and yes. really ambitious, and Apple cannot keep them because they will never be satisfied. But there are certain types of employees, and I, particularly when I think about engineers, where you think about like they they just want to they don't want to go up the food chain. They want to come into work and they want to focus on the problems, and they don't want to manage people, and they. They, they like the idea of like, this is what you need to do. Go do the best job in solving this problem that you possibly can. Now, absolutely, the, the entrepreneurial person who like wants to climb the ladder, that's not going to be a fit. But there is a certain type of, there is a certain type of personality for whom that, that kind of culture is perfect. And I think one of the things that, I mean, I can't even imagine trying to take a corporate culture like Microsoft's and reassemble all the parts of the plane in midair because you have all these people that are attracted to the elements of Microsoft and all of a sudden you're changing the way success is rewarded and how people do well. That would be, I mean, it would be crazy. No, right? absolutely. And, and I, I mean, I, I, I wrote that at the time, obviously. Um, I wrote it twice at the time. I was so outraged about it. Um, no, so I, 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 that's exactly it. Um, and, and yeah, I think that's an interesting point about about uh, it's good for uh, especially a particular engineering mindset. Um, where Apple was well known to have a huge problem was with MBAs. Uh, like there is a certain as much people hate on MBAs, there's a certain skill set and way of looking at stuff that you do get that's useful for and particularly like they hire most of their hires for their supply chain are mostly MBAs and stuff like that. Um, like this legendary world-class supply chain. Uh, but they have a hard time keeping them because the sort of person that yeah. goes and gets MBA is not someone well-suited to, uh, you know, becoming an expert and just doing one thing and being really, really good at it. Yeah, right. I, yeah, that that's absolutely fair. I mean, I my experience in, yeah, I my experience in retail was that people did seem to be a lot Yeah, because retail, and retail is the most kind of like divisional of the, of the groups. Like they're, they're right. kind of totally separate Correct. from the rest of the company in a lot of ways. Right. And, and so people seem to, I, I mean, I love my time there. They're fantastic people, but yeah, right. That's fair. This has been fun. It's been long, two long episodes in a row. I appreciate, well, we appreciate everybody's patience. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see how long the final product is. Um, we, we, we covered a couple different things, so maybe we'll, we'll, we'll split it up. Um, yeah. Sounds like a plan. Cool. Uh, well, I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, mate. Right, Cheers. Bye-bye.